Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, aren't you glad he lives today? Stay with me this morning. I tell you what, happy Resurrection Day. I tell you what, it's uh, happy because we have hope beyond hope, right? Let's pray together. Father, we're so excited about uh, being in your kingdom and those who uh, maybe don't know you, we're excited about them having the possibility of knowing you. So Lord, today we lift you up, we exalt you, we praise you, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, some churches do this. Uh, the pastor invites the kids up for the uh, beginning of the sermon and it's Easter Sunday, and he asked the kids to come up, and he said, what is today? What's the significance? And one of them said, well, it's all about uh, the eggs and the chocolate and the bunnies, and not a good response in church, was it? And then someone else said, well, it's about Jesus going to the cross and his death and then his resurrection victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and that was a better response. And then the pastor asked, well, what happens to someone when they believe in Jesus and they follow Jesus? And uh, one little boy said, uh, well, they uh, go to heaven. Well, that's a good answer. And then the second response to the question that was asked, well, what happens if someone doesn't believe in Jesus? The little boy said, they're going to have a bad day. <laughs> How many of you know it's going to be more than a bad day? It's going to be a bad eternity. But with Jesus, we have hope beyond hope. And in the middle of that little children's sermon, uh, the uh, question was asked, what was the first words that Jesus said when he left the grave? One little girl raised her hands and he said, ta-da. <laughs> well, maybe he did. I'm not for sure. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to get into the Word of God today. And I believe the Lord is going to speak to your heart by the Holy Spirit. In verse 38 through verse 42, we have a portion of what happened after the death of Christ. After this, say that with me. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, and as the custom of the Jews is to, is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews, preparation day, for the tomb was nearby." So look at that first two words, after this. Say that with me again. After this. Well, after what? Well, let's just uh, go on the, the journey today because last week we stopped at the triumphal entry. But that night of uh, Passover, when Jesus was with his uh, disciples, he uh, left and went across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he prayed. He asked them to pray with him. Of course, we know they went to sleep. He went a little bit further. He prayed. And then they came to arrest him. 
And in that arrest, we know there were certain events that happened. And then they took Jesus to the high priest or the former high priest of Annas. And there he is standing before that high priest and he's examined. And then from there they take him to the palace of Caiaphas. It's very close by. And then Caiaphas examines Jesus. And in both of these examinations, Jesus is being misused, mishandled. He's being blindfolded. He's being beaten. He's struck in the face. They're spitting on him. They're saying, prophesy, tell us who hit you, who struck you. And then he is brought before the entire Sanhedrin. So you have to picture in your mind, he's taken to Annas first. He's taken to Caiaphas, who is the current high priest. And then he is taken before the entire Sanhedrin as they gather together at the high priest's house. It is this place that uh, we also know that Peter denies the Lord. He denied him three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. They bring false witnesses to uh, uh, testify against Jesus. And the problem is none of the false witnesses can get their story together. So, you know, you're, you're condemned by two or three witnesses. They can't even get two or three witnesses to get the right story but finally the high priest asked him if he is the Son of God or he is the Messiah. And the Lord responded by, you are saying this or thou sayest this. And that is in their culture, in their law, blasphemy if you're not the Messiah or if you're not the Son of God. But we know he is the Son of God and he is the Messiah. So he gave the correct answer, but they didn't believe him, and that is worthy of death. Now here's the problem, is the Jews are not in control of their own land, and, and they cannot give the death penalty. So now it's about 6 o'clock in the morning. So picture in your mind this. It's about midnight, possibly, when the arrest is made. They examine him three times uh, before Annas, before Caiaphas, before the Sanhedrin. And now they take him to Pilate because the Romans can execute the death penalty. So he's brought before Pilate. Now things get worse because Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, it is as you say. Now while he is being accused by the priest in front of Pilate, Jesus never says a word. Now Pilate says, don't you hear the accusations they're making against you? And, and as a lamb dumb before the shear, the, the, the prophet said, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't answer. And then Pilate is warned by his wife, Mrs. Pilate, she comes and whispers in his ear, be careful what you do with this just man because I have suffered many things in a dream concerning him. Now Pilate wants to let him go because Pilate does not want to condemn him to death. Now hearing that Herod is close in Jerusalem, then Pilate sends him to Herod for Herod to examine him because Herod's kind of control of the northern part of Palestine and he hears that Jesus is a Nazarene or from Nazareth or from Galilee. So he says, I'm going to get him off my hands and I'm going to send him now to Herod. Well, now Herod examines him. Now understand this, in every examination or every trial, if you will, then they are mistreating him. I mean, they're beating him, they're spitting on him, they're mocking him, they're humiliating him. Now, Herod finishes because Herod wanted to see Jesus and thought maybe Jesus would do a miracle for him. He was going to use it kind of as a little audition. And now when Herod finishes, he sends him back to Pilate. So there, before Pilate, 
the Jews are asking for the execution of Jesus and Pilate is wanting to let Jesus go free. So he offers them another alternative and it's Barabbas. Now Barabbas is a murderer and an insurrectionist and he thinks the Jews will take Barabbas over Jesus because Jesus has done a lot of great things for the Jewish community. But they cry out more vehemently, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And when Pilate realizes he cannot control the crowd on that Passover weekend, which is uh, blown up uh, Jerusalem, if you will, for tens of thousands of pilgrims coming in uh, on top of the population of Jerusalem, now he is given in to the Jews and he's going to turn Jesus over to crucifixion. But before he does that, he is going to turn him over to his soldiers. And the Bible says a cohort or a group of soldiers, and that's somewhere around 300. They take him to the Praetorium or the palace of Pilate or the governor there in Jerusalem. And there they begin to humiliate him and mock him and beat him. Most of you know they put a robe on his back and they, they give him a scepter, which is a, a reed, and, and they bow down and hell king of the Jews, they're humiliating him even further. And they begin to beat him with that very scepter, that false scepter that they gave him. And then they scourged him. Now, Roman scourging was one of the most intense things of that time and in that area. When Jesus is scourged by the Romans... It is a beating or a whipping by a leather whip or strap that has probably nine and some say 18 different tentacles off of that one whip. And usually when the Romans would scourge someone, there would be someone whipping on one side and another soldier whipping on the other side. In those pieces of, of tentacles going through there, there was metal, there was glass, there was bone, and as they whipped their victim, you have to understand it wasn't just leather straps. Every time that soldier would whip that body, it would wrap around the back and the sides and the face and the shoulders. And they would yank that whip and out would come flesh, out would come body parts even. Because the Roman scourging was horrendous. It was horrible. And I have to understand, Jesus has been up. All night, right? He's had six different examinations. By Annas, by Caiaphas, by the Sanhedrin, by Pilate, by Herod, now back to Pilate again. Isn't it interesting? He's examined six times and six is the number of man. So here he is being scourged, being whipped with this horrible instrument, the scourge. And as he is whipped, his body is being lacerated. And historians say that many times you could see the backbone and the ribs and even the internal organs would try to extrude out of those lacerations. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 52, that his visage was marred or his body was marred more than any man's. And it says, we were astonished when we looked upon him. And then later in Isaiah 53, it says we hid our faces from him. Have you ever seen something so horrible you turned your face? I remember when I was in college, uh, we went to the movies one night, and I didn't know what we were going to see, and, and we went to see The Exorcist. If you've ever seen that, it's a horrible movie. 
And so I, I'm at the Shepherd Mall uh, Theater, which that doesn't even exist anymore. I was back in the Stone Age. So I, I'm going to the movies, and, and I'm watching the movie, and I didn't even know what it's about. I just went because some other people are, are going. And, and I hid my face from the screen about three-fourths of the movie. You ever watched a horror movie, and you couldn't watch the movie? I mean, that's what I was doing. When, when they looked at Jesus, it was so horrific, they had to turn their face they couldn't even recognize him. He, he is a beaten, lacerated, bloody pulp. And, and that's what the scripture said it would be. But listen, this, this is the main point here. He wasn't beaten for himself. How many of you know he had no sin? He had no iniquity. He, he had uh, no wrongdoing. He's the perfect, spotless Lamb of Almighty God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53. This is something you're very familiar with. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Did you notice the reference to our there? The, the, the word hour there appears five different times. It wasn't for his griefs. It wasn't for his sorrow, his transgression, or Jesus' iniquities. It wasn't for his peace. It was for our sins, iniquities, our transgressions, our peace. It was laid upon him. You see, all of the sins of the world, future and past, were placed upon Jesus Christ. And because God is holy and just, he demands a penalty for sin. And Jesus took your sin. And he took my sin. And he took it to that place where it was executed and judged. And now they're going to put a crown of thorns on his head as they put the purple robe back on him. And the soldiers weave it and they place it upon him and they proclaim him to be in mockery the king. And how many of you know he is the king? He is the king. Now I thought about this this week. Do you know Jesus is crowned with a curse? What is the significance of the crown of thorns? Think about this. I mean, why the crown of thorns? Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 18. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toll you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You know what one of the signs of the curse was? Thorns. And Jesus is crowned with the curse, with the thorns. And now as he bears the crown of thorns, he's bearing the curse that was come upon the earth for sin. And he's bearing the sin. And after the trials and after the beatings and after the scourgings, they now take him to be crucified. He carries the cross. He falls under the weight of the cross. Simon the Cyrene, he picks up the cross. He carries it to Golgotha. They walk down the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of suffering. And there he's stretched out on the cross. They take the nails, the spikes. They put it in his hands and his feet. And he's lifted up from the earth. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. How many of you know this is happening really fast? 9 o'clock in the morning. And there from nine to noon, Jesus is hanging between two thieves. Do you realize all of this has been prophesied? How he's going to die? Where he's going to die? There's going to be thieves on both sides of him, malefactors. And there he hangs. And at noon, 12 o'clock, the Bible says darkness covered the face of the earth. 
Do you know the Bible doesn't say darkness just covered that hill or Jerusalem or Palestine? The Bible says that darkness covered the face of the earth. The very creator, the, the word of God that was spoken to allow creation to come into being now is dying on the cross and the whole creation goes dark. And I want you to know those people who are watching, those who are observing, they're taking all of this in. Now Jesus cries out, Elo, Elo, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud voice, somewhere close to three o'clock in the afternoon, he says, it is finished. Not I'm finished, but it's finished. The work that I was sent to do, the work of salvation, the work of redemption is now finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He hangs his head and he dies. And the earth begins to shake. There's a huge earthquake. The Bible says the rocks are broken open and the, tail, the, the, the veil in the temple now is rent from top to bottom and the people who are in charge of the crucifixion, the centurion and all of his band that is over the crucifixion looks upon the body of Jesus and this is what they said. Surely this was the Son of God. Wow. Even the Romans who are not Jewish, even the Romans who believed in many gods, they're declaring this was the Son of God. And then we pick it up where we started. After this, say that with me. After this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission permission so now Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body and they prepare the body they, they take the linen cloths that they bought a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and spices and they begin to wrap they, they wash the body they wrap the body and they wrap inside those strips of linen cloth the aloes the myrrh what are they doing they're preparing his body for burial, but they've got to get it done by about six o'clock. So from three to six, they have a th about a three hour window. And now they're trying to get everything ready because when the sun goes down the evening, that is when the day is over and the Sabbath begins. That's why they're in a hurry. Have you ever read that early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb to finish the preparation for the burial of the body? Have you ever wondered why they did that? I, the, the only best exclamation uh, I, I've ever heard uh, explained this way, the women, that they watched Joseph and Nicodemus prepare the body, and they had to do it very quickly, and, and the women thought, well, we'll just let them, you know, do what they're doing, but, you know, they're not doing a very good job. You know how men are. Ladies, I deserve a better amen than that. So they're, they're quickly trying to get the body ready for burial and the women are going to show back up on Sunday morning to finish the preparation for that burial. But uh, many of you know that as they placed that body in Joseph's tomb, they rolled the stone. They had the, the tomb guarded and sealed because the Jews went to Pilate and said, listen, we need a guard to guard this tomb. Because we're afraid that they're going to come 
and they're going to steal the body of Jesus, and this is going to get worse. This is going to get out of hand because it's been said that he's going to rise from the dead. So we're going to, we're going to guard this tomb. We're going to seal this tomb. This tomb cannot be opened. And Pilate said, you have your guard. So they went to guard the tomb. They sealed the tomb. And uh, let me tell you what the, the Jewish rulers did. Because when that tomb was empty and that stone was rolled away, you, you do remember what the Bible says. They bribed the guards and they told the guards, we're going to give you a great sum of money. And if anybody asks, you tell them that they came and stole this body. So when I read that this week, I started thinking about NBC and CNN and, and NBC and fake news. So I thought, you know, really fake news didn't start in 2016. Fake news started about 33 AD, right? Okay, y'all get that on the way home. So what are they doing? They're lying because they know what happened. They know the angel appeared. They know the stone was rolled away. Jesus was not there. He's gone. And as those women come early that morning, they're coming about daylight, and they're thinking on the way, who's going to roll away the stone? But when they get there, the stone's already rolled away. You know what they find? They find angels there. The angels are overshadowing this. They're watching this. And the stone is gone and the body is gone. And the grave clothes and the wrappings, they're laid there. And the napkin that covered his face is not thrown to the side. It's folded, put over. I don't need that anymore. And Jesus is gone. And here, this miraculous resurrection shown to the women and the disciples twice and Paul said to 500 people at one time, after Jesus resurrects from the grave, the Bible says the graves of many of the saints were broken open and they walked the streets of Jerusalem. Wow. Grandpa's home. <laughs> and Harry showed up. What a stir in Jerusalem. This event is huge. Let me tell you, if Christmas is the promise Easter's the proof. It's the proof of the resurrection. He appears to many. Harvard attorney Simon Greenleaf, he did a mock trial to see if the evidence of Jesus was true. And this is his quote. A person who rejects Jesus Christ may choose to say, I do not accept it, but he may not choose to say there's not enough evidence. Isn't that a powerful quote? If today you choose not to serve Jesus, it's not because there's not enough evidence. It's because you just simply choose not to accept Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says with many infallible proofs, he showed himself alive. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, this is in Acts chapter 2. Many of you are familiar with this. Uh, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down fills those believers, they speak with languages they do not know, tongues of fire rest upon them, they go to the streets, the question is asked, you know, uh, what, what is this? I mean, uh, th th this is different. And, and Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon we have in the early church recorded. And there's three things he really presses. Number one, Jesus the miracle worker. This is verse 22 of Acts 2. Jesus approved by God by signs, wonders, and miracles. You know what he's saying? This was done right in the midst of you. He had power over demons, diseases, deformities, and death. And you saw it. 
And then the second thing he preached was Jesus crucified. Verse 23, you with wicked hands have crucified and slain him. And then it's Jesus resurrected. This is verse 24, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he could be held by death. Verse 32, this Jesus has God raised up and we're all witnesses and they're only 50 days from that crucifixion. And now Peter looks at Jerusalem and says, you know this is true because you saw it and you witnessed it and you experienced it. And I want to tell you, 3,000 people believed that day and they gave their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. In the middle of that sermon, Peter refers to a psalm of David, chapter 16, verse 10, you will not leave my soul in the realm of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And Peter said he wasn't talking about himself because we know David did see corruption. He's buried right here in the city of David. And so he must have been talking about someone else. And he's talking about the Messiah. So think about this. All this was done for purpose. The virgin birth, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Jesus came here for a purpose. One of my favorite baseball figures is a guy by the name of Yogi Berra. Does anybody remember Yogi Berra? He has become famous because he had a whole list of what we call yogiisms. Have you ever heard of any yogiisms? Let me give you a few. If you don't know who Yogi Berra was, he was a New York Yankees catcher, and he was notorious for messing with batters when they got in the batter's box. You know, there was a lot of chatter going on, but um, they would get into the batter's box, and you ever watched a batter get in the batter's box and then make the sign of the cross before they, they stepped in, and Yogi would say to him, let's just leave God out of this today. And he had other sayings like, you can observe a lot by watching, you ever heard this, it ain't over till it's over? That was from Yogi. Uh, let's pair up in threes. <laughs> uh, it's deja vu all over again. The future ain't what it used to be. I usually take a two-hour nap from one to four. Never answer an anonymous letter. You need to go to other people's funerals so they will come to yours. Yeah, you got it. So, so all of these are Yogiisms. So Yogi is uh, in a game, and Hank Aaron, at the time who was, who was a player for the Milwaukee Braves, is stepping in the batter's box. Now, most of you know, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. So he, he's stepping in the batter's box, and Yogi's doing what Yogi does. He starts messing with your mind. So Hank gets up, he, he, he sets his feet, he's got the bat, and Yogi says, Hank, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. He, he said, you need to turn that label up where you can read it. That, that's the way you bat. So Yogi just messing with him. Hank never says a word, doesn't, you know, doesn't respond to him. And he says, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You need to spin that bat around where the label's up. The pitch comes. Hank knocks it over the, the left field fence, runs the bases. When he gets back to home plate, Yogi's there. He says, Yogi, I didn't come here today to read. <laughs> He came for a purpose, right? Hit home runs. Jesus came for a purpose. He understood. That's why when he prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me if it's possible. 
And how many of you know he came for a purpose? The examination six times before the high priest, the Sanhedrin, before Pilate and Herod. He came knowing that he was doing the greatest event in human history. My friends, I, I know that you have seen a lot of things in your lifetime, and there's been things that happened before us. There'll be things that happen after us. But the most significant event in human history was the coming, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Because when death came, death had victoriously defeated every person on the planet except Jesus. And my friends, the Bible says it's once appointed in man and then to die. And Jesus said, even if we did die, we won't die eternally because I have victory over death, hell, and the grave. And so today we celebrate that purpose and that plan and that victory of Jesus Christ because he is the victor. And my friends, he wrapped himself in human flesh and he came through the Womb of a virgin, from the womb to the tomb, if you will, for purpose, and that's so you and I will not fear death. We are talking the other day, and we talked about people's different fears. Some people are afraid of heights, aren't they? Some people are afraid of snakes. Anybody here afraid of snakes? I'm afraid of them until I know what they are. Some people are afraid of clowns. Some people are afraid of this or that. But really, the underlining fear of snakes and Heights and water is really basically the fear of death, right? You could fall and die. A snake could bite you and die. A spider could get on you and you could die. You, you could, you know, get in the water. You could die. So the underlining fear is the fear of death. But because you and I believe in Jesus Christ, the old preacher said it to me one time, it's goodbye world, hello Jesus. Because I know that this physical death is just going to be a transition to another life, and that's going to be eternal life, but we're not waiting for eternal life. We take hold of it today by believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we believe in Him and we trust Him and we follow Him, then we have the assurance as He has risen, we also shall rise because the very resurrected Spirit that is in Him now has been imparted to us by faith. Can I hear an amen? So we leave today with a great deal of confidence because we know he's alive. And we celebrate that today. It's a holy day. The world has not esteemed it. I'm going to guarantee you there's going to be more people who are doing their own thing than more people here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today you're here, and let me commend you on that because we are so grateful that we can celebrate a resurrected Savior. And we will. Celebrate tomorrow and the next day and the next day and thank God he's alive. Amen. Thank God he's alive. Would you stand with me this morning? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.